how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Today's reading is from uh, John chapter 11, verse 30 to 46. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. This is after the death of Lazarus. The Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Father, we thank you that you've put these words on Debbie's heart that you want us to hear and we ask, as we pray for her, that you will uh, anoint her mouth, um, her mind and spirit, that she might speak your words to us. Lord, we ask that your spirit too will work in us, that we might hear what you have to say uh, and draw closer to you. Amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. You'll notice that we're taking a little break from our passages that we've been following on Sundays, going through the book of 
Oh, very good. I'm really glad that lots of you who are regulars do realize we're going through a book together. Um, we're, taking a break. <laughs> we're taking a break this week because we have a free passage just to share what is on our heart from the Lord. And so um, what I've brought for us this morning, you might think, what does this have, title have to do with this passage? But really, there are three encouragements that I want to bring to us this morning, and they're all kind of flowing from this same theme. So I've called it Give us honey from the rock. And uh, that imagery comes in the Bible, in the Psalms, Psalm 81 and verse 16, um, where we read about how God provides honey from the rock. And I guess the idea of that is that he will give us sweetness and life and encouragement and strength in unlikely places, (laughs) in places that look cold and hard and rigid. And I guess that's really the heart behind what I wanted to share with us this morning because our world is full of difficult things, isn't it? We've just been praying for some of them. But that's just one of the many, many things that we see on our news screens day by day, the stories that we read. And for many of us, um, just one of the many things that we are carrying, the burdens that we are carrying for our own lives at the moment. We're going through difficult times. There are rocks and dry places. There are pressures. There are griefs and there are sorrows. And I know that many of us know the reality of that day by day. And as I was thinking and praying about this morning, I just felt that the Lord wanted to remind us that he is very knowledgeable about those difficult times. That to be a Christian doesn't mean we have to pretend everything's fine and be all fixed smile, plastic smiles, cheery, cheery all the time and ignore the pressures and the difficulties of this world. That is not the Christian message because we have a God in Jesus who got right down into our situation and walked on the very rocks of this earth himself and understands what it means to be human and understands what it means to grieve and to go through difficult times. But in the midst of all of that, we have a God who knows how to bring hope and how to bring faith how to bring bring strength, how to bring freedom, how to bring even resurrection, like in this story, into the midst of those things, how to bring honey in the rocky places. And I just felt the Lord wanted us to get hold of that afresh in these days that we live in, because otherwise, isn't it easy for the sorrows and the pain in this world to rob us of our sense of faith and energy and strength and direction for our lives. Isn't it easy to feel overwhelmed sometimes? Maybe we feel a heaviness resting on us like that huge stone, it says, that was rolled over the tomb of where Lazarus lay, a big heaviness that looks completely immovable. And even if you did try and shift it, it would stink like Leslie was reading to us. That's what this story that we had read is all about Jesus in the midst of a grieving family working in circumstances that were not beautiful and pretty on the outside, but bringing his life, his hope, his sweetness, his goodness. And I believe he wants some of us to take hold of that this morning. So my three encouragements are these. I'm going to try and make them simple and short. 
you'll be pleased to know because so much has already been said this morning that the Lord has been speaking and that the Lord is in. And my first encouragement to us is from this story, don't miss Jesus in the pain. When we go through painful times in our lives or when we feel the pressure of the pain from the things that we are seeing in the world, don't miss Jesus in the pain. Mary and Martha, the sisters of this brother who died, it would have been easy for them to miss Jesus. In fact, Martha finds him first in the earlier part of the story that we didn't read. And then later on, Mary does finally come and meet with him. But it would have been possible, I think, that Mary could have just stayed, laid on her bed in that house of weeping, weeping and sorrowing so much that she never actually went out to meet with Jesus. But she does. And when she does, we see in the reading that we had today, there are two very powerful moments that I just want to mention that she has with Jesus in the midst of her pain. First of all, in verse 33 and in verse 38 of the passage, we read that Jesus was deeply moved, it says. And it's a special kind of unusual Greek word that you see there, embryamai. He was deeply moved within. It's a kind of idea of like a, a snorting inwardly. That's the best kind of definition, if you like. Kind of inner snorting or groaning, perhaps. It is the sound, I believe, of anger and sorrow and pain and frustration and grief that Jesus expresses twice in this passage as he's having this conversation with Mary. And it reminds us as Jesus feels this deep sense of churning within, it reminds us that Jesus is not unmoved by the injustices of this world or by the injustices that we suffer personally or that we have to watch our children suffer or the people who are our loved ones going through. He is not far removed from it. Jesus shows us in his person, in the Son of God who walked on the earth, he shows us what God in heaven, our Father in heaven, is truly like. He is not some great marble pillar statue God in the sky who is impassive and unmoved and dispassionately watching the events of the earth, thinking, well, it's all okay because I'm in control somewhere outside in the midst of it all. Somewhere out on the back of these things, I'm kind of making sure everything's okay. But on the ground, yeah, it gets a bit messy. But here am I up in my heavenly places, all fine. Jesus shows us a God who is not like that. He stands right down in the middle of what is going on, right in the midst of the pain, and he feels it, and he knows it, and he reacts to it, and there is a movement inside. And as he is moved inside, we read in the scriptures that something flows forth from Jesus in those moments. When he feels that churning of the pain and the injustice, something beautiful is always released from Jesus' heart. Not just a raging anger, why is the world like this? But something beautiful that pours out in that moment. And here with Mary, it's hope. And it goes on to be the power 
of resurrection life for her brother. Something beautiful, something powerful, but it's not ignorant of the pain and the difficulty. And it's an important moment, that, for many of us, isn't it? We do need to know that the Lord Jesus understands the injustice of the world that we live in. And that he doesn't think it all just balances out somewhere in his great mighty scales in the sky. That something needs to happen because of the difficult things that we experience. Because of the awful things that the world goes through. And ultimately we know for Jesus, he did something mighty. He went to the cross and he gave his own life for the pain and the injustice and the brokenness of this world. And when he gave his life, he released the power of his Holy Spirit to bring hope and freedom for every human being who's ever lived on the face of this earth and who ever will live. He acted powerfully, decisively, beautifully, but not without understanding the cost of the pain. That's a beautiful moment that he has with Mary where he's deeply moved. But also, the second moment is in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, as I'm sure many of us know. It says, Jesus wept, very simply. <clears throat> and in that verse, there's such a wonderful contrast between all the weeping that's already been going on. Um, again, in the Greek, there are two different words used there. When it talks earlier about Mary weeping and the, the Jews who were with her, her friends, her neighbors, her community who came with her to weep over the loss of her brother, they're all weeping. And the verb in Greek means um, to weep and wail. It is a crying out loud. It is a sobbing and a sorrowing that is external and loud. But when we come to Jesus' moment in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. But the word there is a different word, and it's the word for tears. Jesus shed tears. Silent tears, I think. In that moment, he stood with Mary and he looked at the tomb and he wept. Silent tears of sorrow with her in her grief. And there's something beautiful about that moment, isn't there? That Jesus not only feels the injustice, but he also feels the sorrow. And he shared that moment with Mary as they stood looking at this tomb where Lazarus was laid. They had a common grief over what was lost and a common sorrow over what had been laid down, what had been broken, what had been messed up, all the hopes and dreams that had collapsed in that moment when Lazarus died. And I think it's important that Jesus' sorrow is its different to the world's sorrow. It's, it's quieter. I wonder if that's because when Jesus was grieving and weeping with Mary, you see, he wasn't trying to tell the world how terrible it all was. It wasn't something he was trying to push out there. But as Jesus wept with Mary, it's as though he was absorbing into his very self in that quietness, in that silence, 
the sorrow and the pain. It's like he soaked it all in and it went inside somewhere where it could be swallowed in the infinite heart of God's love that beat within him because that is the only place for our sorrow and our pain to be dealt with. It's in the heart of God. And again, as Jesus died on the cross, that's what he was doing for us. He was soaking into himself every last bit of grief and sorrow and swallowing it whole. And the only place it would disappear would be in the infinite depths of his love and commitment to the world that he created. Jesus' quiet grieving doesn't diminish the enormity, the magnitude of the grief and sorrow that Mary was feeling or that any of us might feel. It doesn't diminish it and make it seem small or like it didn't matter. No, he understood how big it was and that the only place it could be dealt with was right inside his own heart and being. Two beautiful moments in the middle of all that grief with Jesus. He understood the injustice. He understood the sorrow. And he released something that was going to make a difference to it going forward. And we know that the end of the story is Lazarus being raised up from the dead with the release of that power and that grace. And the truth is that in the difficult times in our lives and under the greatest pressures, if we will meet with Jesus, if we will not just lose ourselves in the pain and, and miss out on what the Lord wants to do, if we will allow him to meet with us, we will find grace and we will find honey ministered to us in those moments if we will meet him. The second encouragement I want to bring us is receive the honey. <clears throat> Don't miss Jesus in the pain, but here, receive the honey. And there we go back to our title for this morning from Psalm 81. But I just want to read you, before I talk about what's on the screen there for a moment, I just want to read you um, a snippet from, um, from Tolstoy's A Confession. Now, he's not the cheeriest of writers, but that is deliberate. So. And he wrote this analogy in his writings of the hopelessness of life. And I want to read it to us for a moment. He said, There is an Eastern fable told long ago of a traveler overtaken on a plane by an enraged beast. Escaping from the beast, he gets into a dry well, but sees at the bottom of the well a dragon that has opened its jaws to swallow him. The unfortunate man, not daring to climb out lest he should be destroyed by the enraged beast, and not daring to leap to the bottom of the well lest he should be eaten by the dragon, seizes a twig growing in the crack in the well and clings onto it. His hands are growing weaker and he feels he will soon have to resign himself to the destruction that awaits him above or below, but still he clings on. 
Then he sees that two mice, a black one and a white one, go regularly round and around the stem of the twig to which he is clinging, and they are gnawing at it. And soon the twig itself will snap, and he will fall into the dragon's jaws. The traveler sees this and knows that he will inevitably perish. But while still hanging, he looks around and he sees some drops of honey on the leaves of the twig. And he reaches them with his tongue and he licks them. And then Tolstoy says, So I too clung to the twig of life, knowing that the dragon of death was inevitably waiting me, ready to tear me to pieces. And I could not understand why I had fallen into such torment. I tried to lick the honey which formerly consoled me, but the honey no longer gave me pleasure. And the white and black mice of day and night gnawed at the branch by which I hung. I saw the dragon clearly, and the honey no longer tasted sweet. I only saw the unescapable dragon and the mice, and I could not tear my gaze from them. We'll leave it there. <clears throat> I think that that picture, that story, gives us quite an accurate description, doesn't it, of depression and how depression can press in on our lives. How the enemy, because we have an enemy out there in this world, don't we, who is opposed to God and all of his purposes, how the enemy wants to rob us of all the joy that is in our life, all the sweetness that we might otherwise find. But when we look at that picture that Tolstoy told, actually I think we need to reimagine it and see some other things in the picture that he didn't yet see. We need to ask ourselves the question, well, where is God in this picture? Where can we see Jesus at work? Because he is at work in his world. I think the implication in this story is that maybe even that God was the enraged beast in the first place who kind of drives the man into that hanging on to the twig of life position. But in reality, the beast and the dragon, I believe, represent the enemy and the way the enemy wants to fill our vision with the horrors that he wants to perpetrate in this world. And actually, the Lord Jesus in this picture, God's role in this picture is the invisible hand that actually I think Claudette was sharing with us earlier when she spoke about. It is the invisible hand of God that is underneath that man. He doesn't realize it's there. He hasn't spotted it. He hasn't understood it yet. But underneath him are the everlasting arms, as it says in God's word. Underneath him, there is something there that will catch him if he will let himself fall into the mighty hands of God. And more than that, it is God himself who is providing those honey drops on the leaves for him because he wants to say, look, if you trust that my hand has got you, if you trust that my hand is underneath you, that honey won't lose its flavor. That honey won't lose its taste. You'll still be able to know joys, even when there are beasts raging above you and dragons raging beneath you and all kinds of other pressures that life will bring us. Even in the midst of all of that, if you can see the hand of God is underneath you and if you can know that he is the one providing honey for you in your days and nights um, as you live and walk through this world, then you will find there is strength, there is hope, there is encouragement, there is joy even in the midst of the world 
world that we live in. And throughout Scripture, time and time again, we have this theme of God providing honey for His people. Even when everything looks desperate and lost, there is honey. There are moments of sweetness and joy. And the Lord is saying to us, receive it, take it in, eat that honey, and let it refresh you and give you strength and life. There are blessings that are out there, even in the midst of the raging beasts. There are blessings, and they have been put there so that you can have strength for the next leg of your journey. And if you look at these references that I've placed here, you know, you'll remember that when God first called his people together, Israel, he told them, I'm taking you to a land that is flowing with what? Milk and honey, that's it, exactly. That was God's promise that lay ahead for them. There's a land ahead of you. It's flowing with milk. It's flowing with honey. There's something sweet and good and nourishing there. But it wasn't just something they had to wait for in the future and stretch their hands out for the future. All along the way, God was providing moments of honey so that they could be encouraged to keep going to find that beautiful end that he was eventually going to lead them to. And that's why we see the manna in the wilderness for those people that tasted, it says in God's word, like honey, so that they could remember, I am providing for you. I am giving you what you need day by day to give you strength. The honey from the rock in Psalm 81, possibly another reference to that manna that was being provided. But we see that Jesus brings us in our lives provision and rest in times of wilderness, in hard, rocky times. And then you remember the story of Samson and the lion. Maybe you don't know these stories, and that's okay. But Samson had a fight with a lion, and then he found later that there was honey being created in the carcass of that lion, and he eats it, and he is strengthened, and he blesses other people with that honey um, as the story goes on. And similarly, we see Jonathan, David's friend Jonathan, who fights a mighty battle against the Philistines and is exhausted and wearied, but then he finds in the forest that God has provided honey for him, and he takes hold of it, and it says it gives him strength. His eyes brighten. He's ready for the next battle that is coming ahead, and instead of being overwhelmed in the midst of the pressure and the midst of the discouragements, Samson and Jonathan could rise up with new strength again. Because Jesus brings us healing and strength and restoration. And when we fight our battles afterwards, he wants to minister honey and grace to us so that we can be strengthened and restored enough to go on for the next leg of our journey and go on to the next battle that we might have to fight. And this is important, people of God, because Jesus has got work for us to do in this world. And we need to know how to get the strength from him to keep going, to finish the job, to get the gospel into every corner of this earth, to get the good news about who Jesus is through this world so that the end can come, so that Jesus can make a final end of the dragon and the beast and anything else that opposes his purposes. We've got a part to play in that, so we can't just lie down under the pressure and the heaviness of it all. We've got to find and see where the Lord is providing the moments of honey along the way and taste it and receive it and let it put strength inside of us. And he will do that. The, promise, the promises come thick and fast through God's word to show us that he will do that. 
on that last one, we can see there is honey to be found in the judgments of the Lord, it says in Psalm 19. The judgments of the Lord are like honey on our lips. The words that God speaks, the laws that he wants to write into our hearts, they are good. They do us good. The Song of Songs talks about lips that drip honey in this beautiful picture of giving and receiving of love. And we can see in it a picture of worship, the honey that drips from the Lord's lips and that we taste when we worship, like we've been tasting it this morning in our time of worship together. There's honey there, there's sweetness, there's strength, there's blessing, there's joy even, even in the midst of the sorrow. And the pleasant words, Proverbs 16 verse 24 tells us that pleasant words that we speak to one another are like honeycomb and they bring healing and strength. Did you know, people of God, that he wants us to speak words that give life to each other, to bring sweetness to each other's lives, that when we come together like this, this is part of that purpose. It's part of what we're here to do, to say a word to somebody else, to bring an encouragement, to say something that builds someone else up. It's honey in the midst of the pressure. It's honey in the rocky and hard places. The Lord has provided all kinds of places for us to taste honey, provision and rest, healing, strength and restoration after our battles, words and worship and blessing one another will all release honey into our lives. And the last thing that I want to say, if we will meet Jesus in the pain, if we will receive the honey that he is giving us dripping in the days of our lives, then we will find we have the strength to do this last one. <clears throat> which is to extract the precious from the worthless. I don't know if you know that verse, but it comes in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 19. And I love this idea of the calling of God's people is to extract the precious from the worthless. It's a wonderful calling, but it does require us to be energized and faith-filled and strengthened and not easily demoralized, doesn't it? I was reminded of a, a day that we did many years ago with uh, the New Life Congregation in Greenwich, which has its own little building. And we set a day aside to do some cleaning around that building to make it all spick and span and beautiful to meet in. And uh, one of the things that we decided to do was clean all the graffiti off the outside wall, which kind of um, backed onto the garden there. And it took a really long time with soap and water and scrubbing brushes and scouring it all off. And and, and we worked really, really hard, a little bunch of us, and we cleaned the whole wall. It was so beautiful and clear, and it all looked very smart and smartened up. And uh, that was on a Saturday. And the very next morning when we met there to worship, um, it had been all graffitied over again, the whole space. It was like we had cleared the canvas for whoever it was, and they had like spray-painted all their stuff on it again. And I just, I remember the feeling in that moment. So we came in, there was a bunch of us who'd worked very hard on that wall. And I remember coming in and feeling so dismayed, <laughs> but trying not to show it too much. Um, and then there were other people who were feeling very dismayed and showing it a lot, um, feeling very cross and very angry. Um, 
But then there was one lady, and uh, she was amazing. She looked at it. She didn't say anything. She just went in. She got the bucket. She filled it with some hot water. She put the soap in. She got the sponges, and she went straight outside before the meeting was beginning and started to scrub it again, started to get going again and clean the stuff off again. And I remember someone saying to her, oh, what's the point? You know, you're only going to have to do it again tomorrow. You know, what's the point? It's just going to get nasty again. It's going to get messy again. It's going to get dirty again. There's no point. There's no point. And that's what you feel like, isn't it? With the mess in this world, you feel like you do a little bit, but there's no point. It just all comes tumbling back in again with all the worthless stuff and all the, the, the muck and the mire of this world. And this woman, she just looked up and she said, well, I mean, did you really think that it wasn't going to get graffitied on again, ever again? Did you really think that? And they were like, well, no, but we thought it might have lasted, you know, a week or something like that. And she said, doesn't matter, does it, whether it's in a week's time or whether it's in a day's time. This is the work that we've got to do. Let's clean it up. Let's get it clear. Let's extract the precious, if you like, from the worthless. And I saw in her this kind of strength that rose up that said, I'm not going to be demoralized by the worthlessness that is there in life, by the mess that the enemy makes all over the place. Because, people of God, it is part of our calling to be those who roll up our sleeves and reach into it and bring out something beautiful. And you know, in Genesis chapter 2, the story of this world starts in a garden, doesn't it? With beautiful precious stones in the bottom of a river in the Garden of Eden. And then in Revelation chapter 21, right at the end of our story in this book, there's a heavenly city, a beautiful supernatural city of God coming down from the clouds to fill this world, to fill our experience. And it's full of those same beautiful, precious stones. And all along the way, we always had some work to do to get the stones out of the garden and build them into a city. That was always our job. That was always our calling. It was always what God wanted for us as human beings. And yes, in Genesis 3 and 4, all the worthless stuff starts to pour in with Satan and sin and turning away from God, and trying to do things our own way, and making a great big mess of this world. But nevertheless, that's why I love it, that it's pretty much slap bang in the middle of our Bible. In Jeremiah 15 verse 19, God reminds his people again, nevertheless, in spite of all the worthlessness in this world, you as my people are called to roll up your sleeves, dig your hands in, and start pulling out the precious from amongst the worthless. Don't let the demoralization stop you and rob you of that calling. There are beautiful things to bring forth. They might be tiny, small, sparkly, beautiful stones, but they are part of what God is doing and building into that future kingdom that one day will be the fullness of everything. One day, all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever and ever over this world in the way that he always designed it to be. There's a day coming when that full restoration happens. And along the way, we mustn't be those who allow the worthlessness to rob us of our strength, our hope, our faith, our joy.
and our calling. And that's what I want to leave with you today. So I'm going to pray and hand back to Walter. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for those of us who are experiencing pain at the moment of whatever kind. And I just want to ask, Lord Jesus, that you would step in right now and just meet us. Meet us in that experience, Lord, because you don't brush it under a carpet or pretend it's not there. And Lord, I want to pray that you will open our eyes, all of us, Lord, to the honey that you drip into our lives in all kinds of places. Help us to expect it and to see it and to let it do us good. To enjoy the sweetness, even in the hard places. And Lord, I pray that you will strengthen us to fulfill our calling as your people. To be those who can reach in to the rubble and pull out those precious lives like we've been seeing on our news screens, Lord. But to reach in and pull out the precious, pull out what matters, pull out what is beautiful, make it available, make it seen for your glory for your goodness, Jesus. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living